0: Hey ya girlies, it's me, Devlin Camp. This is a special queer serial announcement coming to you from the future, 2023. You're listening to an episode from the past, during which you might hear me plug some bonus content, especially in the credits. But as of 2023, here's everything you need to know if you want more queer serial or if you want to support my many ongoing LGBTQ history projects. I got a lot going on. You can sign up for periodic email updates at the link for everything in the episode notes. First off, you can now listen to my entire backlog of Queer Serial bonus episodes on Apple Podcasts, just like you listen to the regular episodes. Just head to the Queer Serial Show page on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to additional bonus episodes for 2 dollars a month. Those episodes are everything from my Patreon, minus the visual stuff, but all of the bonus episodes. It includes all of the spin-off episodes, Forgotten Fairy Tales, the White Knight Riots interviews, all of my Mattachine meeting interviews, Randy Wicker Radio, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Every episode of everything I've ever made. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for 2 dollars a month or still for $3 a month on Patreon if you want the bonus episodes and all of my visual research and my archive dives included and behind the scenes of my Randy Wicker documentary. Also, If you're a Spotify kind of girl, like me, you can also get all of my bonus episodes through Spotify now, too. Just go to the podcast section and search Queer Serial Bonus Shows and there's a whole feed of Queer Serial Bonus Shows. And if you wanna get some gay merch while also supporting my queer history projects, check out the new Queer Serial Etsy shop. Etsy.com slash shop slash Queer History Uplift. There's a link in the episode notes here. I've got podcast merch from throughout the series and also lots of queer history related items like postcards from Mona's 1930s lesbian bar and Marsha P. Johnson stickers with her own handwriting that says gay love always, straight from the Wicker and Johnson archive that I've been working on. And I've got gorgeous mugs that say queer history is world history, other stickers that say drag is not a crime with a real photo of drag queens being arrested. And I've got these warning stickers that you can put in textbooks that are lacking queer history to warn future readers. Lots of other buttons and other stuff on Etsy, too. There are links to everything in the episode notes here and at QueerSerial.com or just search for me on Instagram, Etsy, Patreon, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. I think that's everything. While you're on QueerSerial.com, by the way, check out the new episode guide. You can explore the entire podcast series, episode by episode, with all the research and transcripts and bonus episodes and lots of photos and videos from the true history that I cover, all at QueerSerial.com. Finally, last thing, you don't have to, but if you'd like to, go ahead and catch up on all four seasons of Queer Serial and the bonus episodes before season five comes out this October, Queer History Month. The new season is a standalone story in our history and a spin-off of an event that I briefly touched on in season three, episode seven, if you want a hint. Stay tuned. Thanks so much for all of your support. I literally couldn't do it without you. Enjoy the show.
1: Never again will our people ever stand by and let Dan White's people rule the day. Let us say with our new strength that we are tired of dealing with pigs, and that from now on, the people who would follow the spirit of Dan White are going to
2: have to deal with us.
3: Welcome back. Supervisor Harry Britt is my guest this morning, and a lot of people have said that he is even more liberal than the uh, former Supervisor Harvey Milton.
1: I'm very committed to the things Harvey was committed to. And I'm learning so much, so quickly. Some
4: people say this will hurt us politically. There'll be a backlash against yeah. us. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, people who were outraged last night, and they were outraged at the verdict.
5: I understand the concern about the, the verdict. City hall
4: uh, had windows broken, doors broken. Twelve police cars were burned. There was no excuse for it. Fire chief estimates that damage at approximately two hundred thousand okay. yeah. dollars. What happened to who started that riot at Castro's? The police department did. No bones about it. The police exercised um, considerable restraint. I think that I think that Harvey himself would, would put it in the total perspective that violence against gay people, Harvey's death was nothing new. We've had violence against us um, for hundreds of years. They were beating us up before
2: last night, you know, they were causing violence. Uh,
1: in terms of dealing with the problem of police brutality, uh, I have met in the last month with leaders of the Latino community and of the black community, and we are going to be organizing within all three of our communities
3: harvey milk stood for feminists and the women's community uh, latinos and filipinos and every group that ever had felt that it was underrepresented in city
1: hall i was working with harvey very closely on that
5: if i'm fighting for the rights of gay
4: people and i am then i must fight for the rights of all people all the minorities, the senior citizens, the handicapped, the disenfranchised people. Oh, I'm a hypocrite. You don't deny that you're gay. Right? They don't care. They know I can fight. 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 There fight. will be a referendum in November. So Mr. Britt will have to run, others will run.
1: There are a lot of gay people who won't call the police department, who
4: will call a gay supervisor. There will be a major police presence throughout San Francisco. How would you go about determining the proportion of the city's population that's gay? If
1: I had to estimate it based on what I've seen, I would say sixty to $90,000. 60 to 90,000 people, excuse me. It's time for the national gay community to press themselves on the consciousness of America in the way that we have pressed ourselves on the consciousness of San Francisco. I believe I've established a credibility among the lesbian
3: and gay community that I am a friend of the community. And that I have been there when that community has need.
1: The reason that I have the support of the leaders of the neighborhoods is because they know that I've spent more time than any other supervisor monitoring the citywide zoning study that's going on to protect the commercial districts in the neighborhoods.
3: The supervisor Feinstein, are you there? Can you hear me? Can you hear me?
1: I'm Will Roscoe,
5: and this is Give 'em Hill Harry, the man who kept Harvey Milk's dream alive.
4: I'm not sure if she can hear me.
0: Episode 4, The Number One Queen.
5: When Harry Britt took over Harvey Milk's seat on the board of supervisors, San Francisco was plunged into turmoil and grief. His appointment had divided the community. Within two weeks of taking office, he stood up in front of the Gay Business Association and told them, we're going to have a lot of problems with the police. Only to be challenged by the chief of police sitting in the audience. But what he couldn't have imagined was what was coming, one of the most violent uprisings in the city's history. When Harry refused to apologize after the White Knight riots, he was lambasted by the press and the political establishment. The pundits were writing his political obituary, and in a few months his name would be on the ballot.
3: Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm sure that there are a lot of people who really don't know too much about Harry Britt. Uh, Have you lived in the city for a long time? Have you been involved in politics?
1: Yes, I uh, have. I've been here for seven or eight years.
3: How do you find politics on the board? A lot of people have... Oh, I
1: I love it. Uh, (laughs) You learn a lot. I'm glad to be here and have a chance to tell the people some of the things I'm learning. Uh, one of the things you learn, if I can do this, is that you get out of government. Uh, y- you get attention from government when you when you get out there and politicize yourself and make known what you care about. A, a real good example, we spend a lot of time talking about condominium conversions on the board.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, there is a huge amount of pressure on a supervisor to respond to the people who are building the condominiums and historically they've gotten built and they've gotten board approval what's happening now is particularly a lot of senior citizens are getting together and are saying we're afraid we don't like these things we want to take care of our housing needs first and then build the condominiums this pressure is being felt and i find that exciting and i'm part of it and
3: Are you pro-condominium or against condominium? What I am
1: pro is making absolutely sure that we make it possible for people to live in this city who don't have a lot of money.
3: You know, there's been a lot of animosity against gay people. Not too long ago, a a group of black leaders came out and said, we want gays out of the western edition because they are coming in, buying our homes, raising the rents, and and forcing us out. And you see the Castro Valley area the same way. What would you say about that?
1: I I, I say that, that you get a whole raw Picture if you think there's a lot of animosity between gays and blacks. I've been working with black people most of my adult life around their issues and around gay issues, and more importantly, around housing issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a proposition, you gays were in the very front of that fight. Uh, The gay people that I work with politically and that Harvey worked politically have been fighting for low-cost housing, have been fighting for improving the living conditions in the Western edition and elsewhere.
3: So you don't see speculation being led by a gay contingency? Of course
1: not. Speculation has historically been led by the big banks, the big real estate interests, A very tiny percentage of that is gay people. Gay people are affected by housing problems as much as anyone else in this city. Neither of our communities is going to control this city, Mm -hmm. but this city can be controlled by coalitions of minority groups, seniors, poor people, women, Latinos, blacks, gays. If we all get together and work for the things we have in common, Mm -hmm. this is our town.
5: Harvey Milk spoke out on a dizzying array of issues. Gay rights, real estate speculation and affordable housing, limiting downtown growth, preserving neighborhoods, free public transit, recycling centers, opposition to South Africa. He spoke out for seniors, Latinos, African-Americans, the Chinese community, and people with disabilities. But his only legislative victories were San Francisco's landmark gay rights ordinance and a law requiring dog owners to pick up their pet's poop. I don't want to put anybody in jail. I don't want to find anybody. I just want to clean up the mess. Now, Harry Britt, wearing his signature brown tweed jacket, riding the bus to work every morning, aims to turn Harvey's wish list into political wins.
2: So I started out with a fairly high level of trust from key people, not, not everybody, certainly not the gay press. The owners of the gay paper were very, very unhappy with my appointment. There was a fair amount of anger among lesbian activists about my appointment. Um, and then I had the problem that between, there was only ten months before the next election, and the list of people who saw me as vulnerable was huge. Uh, the the only progressive problem I had was that among people who didn't know me I was Dianne Feinstein's appointee and Dianne Feinstein had a credibility problem with progressive people so there was work to be done um, and also I, I was not I had never spent time at City Hall I wasn't familiar with with the city issues and what was there and I found that because I was the district 5 supervisor that immediately I had on my plate activists this is an activist district i say this because I still live in district 5 but a lot of the laws have been changed and uh, the so everybody brought me their agenda Dennis Perone came in with the medical with the marijuana stuff Uh, The Rent Control, the Tenants' Union came in, uh, anti-apartheid people. I didn't have to look for an issue, I was, and there was, you know, I worked very closely with the uh, Central American justice people. Prop M was on the ballot that year, and I was the legislative sponsor on the high-rise control issue. And, and as was, as I worked with, and then the disabled community, we had our monthly meetings of disabled activists, so, and as I worked on one issue and there was a big guardian said something nice about me, then other people would come. Um, and then there was also, Harvey was a national figure, the murders were a big story nationally, so I, I had invitations, you know, everywhere, and I always felt that those were important. Uh, I gave a lot of speeches. I mean, it seemed like every week I was in Philadelphia or Las Vegas or somewhere. Uh, and that was hard because, you know, giving a speech in Philadelphia means you lose three days out of a seven day week. Uh, and you miss stuff. You miss important things that people think are important to them. And, you know, the annual banquet of from San Francisco tomorrow, you're mm-hmm. not there, and who is this new guy that doesn't respect us? And, and I'm off in Philadelphia, you know. So, uh, uh, it. I was busy, and I didn't have a car, I didn't have any money, I didn't have any clothes. Uh, so, this the, the logistics were very, very hard.
0: So Harvey has successfully appointed his own successor. Harry has the seat. He's reluctantly taken on this role as a national gay leader. Outside of gay issues, what's his first move as supervisor?
5: Rent control. Very quickly. Uh, He came out of the gate running. In 1979, one of the most contentious issues in San Francisco is rent control. The city is undergoing rapid gentrification. In the 1960s and 70s, massive urban renewal projects displaced thousands of low-income people of color in the Fillmore. In the Castro, Haight-Ashbury, the Western Edition, and the Mission, old Victorians are being bought up and renovated. Speculators are buying buildings on the cheap one day and selling them for gold rush profits the next. Rents are skyrocketing and so are evictions. In 1978, an estimated 20,000 renters lose their homes. Um, And and another shibboleth from that time was gentrification. What's your take
2: on that? Um, I can't say there's no truth in it. Um, You know, it's like when I was in Chicago African Americans were moving into white neighborhoods at the prompting of essentially white realtors who would go in and tell everybody that the blacks were coming, so they better get out, and they got out, and the blacks came. Blockbusters, we called them, or something huh. like that. So, certainly, you've got economic incentives for things to happen, and you've got players who make them happen, um, and you had an enormous influx of of lesbians and gay men into this city during this period. The overwhelming majority of us, however, were poor, and we didn't settle in Twin Peaks or the top of any hills anywhere. Uh, I never paid more than $100 a month rent for the first 10 or 15 years that I was here. So my constituency, to the extent that it was gay and particularly lesbian was renters, and my work with rent control was in part, not totally, out of my personal experience that I knew there were still people in Texas who wanted to move out here who were less and less able to do it. Now, sadly, one of the obstacles I faced was gay realtors who were just trying to make a buck but you know after we finished the healthcare care debate about how people shouldn't people's health shouldn't be a subject for greed and profit I'd like that we can talk about housing exactly the same way there was an opportunity for profit and the opportunity for profit became the dominant reality, and that's that was hard for me. I remember um, one of the gay, when I was first appointed, uh, people didn't know who I was, and they had a party for me. Um, you know, not a campaign party. I wasn't running for anything, but uh, just you know, meet the supervisor and. We're, we ha- were so happy that you know that there's someone there to take over, and it was huge. Uh, I-, I can't, in retrospect, be very objective about how many people were there, but certainly a hundred and maybe two hundred, um, and they were pretty much white men. <laughs> not not all men, but probably maybe all. Um, within two weeks of that party I had introduced rent control and became enemy number one you know, here's Dan White and then here's me (laughs) I became immediately and not only rent you know, and then that became vacancy control which is communist stuff and uh, because vacancy control treats housing as something people need to have in order to live, as opposed to something you can make money on, you can sell, and you leave and make a big profit. So, uh, particularly given the fact that nobody knew who I was, if if Diane had appointed someone that like Bob Ross would not have introduced rent control. But, you know, somebody who had some... Uh, even Rick Stokes, who had a, was known, it would have been easier, but most of them would have not, not done what I did. Harvey actually... Harvey co-sponsored legislation that directly would limit the amount of profit you could make in a real estate transaction. So that was the beginning of Harry's a left-wing, crazy nut person. Um, And, you know, also the beginning on the other side of people on the left recognizing me as something of a leader. In
5: 1978, a rent control measure was defeated at the ballot box after a massive campaign financed by big landlords. But organized renters are up in arms, and the supervisors are being inundated with complaints. The question for Mayor Feinstein and the real estate interests is no longer how to stop rent control, but how to find a compromise they can live with. Harry puts forward a proposal to cap rent increases on all properties and establish a rent board to hear tenant complaints. And it includes vacancy control to prevent landlords from jacking up rents whenever tenants move out. But to keep Feinstein from vetoing the measure, vacancy control is taken out. This gives landlords incentive to force tenants to leave. And over the years, they will find many creative ways to do that. Even so, San Francisco becomes one of the first cities in the state to protect tenants from rent increases and evictions. I owe a huge part of my life to the law Harry helped pass. With annual rent increases tied to inflation, my housing would stay affordable for years. I could live like an artist, working part-time, doing my research and writing. But in the end, my small apartment building was bought up by investors, and we were all evicted. In the decades that follow, the real estate industry and corporations will spend millions to fight rent control measures anywhere they are proposed. But Harry will live to see the day when California becomes one of the first states to put controls on rent gouging and unjust evictions with the Tenant Protection Act of 2019, a bill Harry will endorse in one of his last political statements.
4: This is The Gay Life on KSAN. Good morning. I'm Randy Alfred. Supervisor Harry Britt and Terrence Hallinan candidates for Supervisor of District 5 in San Francisco. One of the problems that I hear quite oftenly mentioned in the district that people criticize Supervisor Britt for is the failure to provide adequate police protection, to have visible police in the Castro Street area, the Upper Market Street area, and other areas of the district. It's said, and in fact... uh, I believe it's true that some of the statements that Mr. Britt has made against the police department, uh, let let the pigs be pigs, get the pigs off the street, things like this have so alienated the police department that it makes it very difficult.
1: I think one of the reasons that Mr. Hallinan did so badly on on November 6th in the hate and in those ambient uh, precincts out in Noe Valley that you're talking about, uh, Randy, is as my friend Dennis Perone has said that, that I'm the only one left who, who really has a good grassroots base, who's really in touch with you know what life is like for renters, uh, what life is like for people who don't fit in too well in the ordinary society. That's been my whole political history. It was what Harvey Milk was all about and it's what I want to see the gay community continue to be about in San Francisco.
3: It, at times uh, District 5 has been labeled as a gay seat.
1: District 5 is not a gay seat. What happened in District 5 was that the possibility of gay representation was created when Harvey Milk won his victory in 1977. He was not all about trying to uh, create a gay seat. He he was trying to show that gay people can take a leadership role in government and and represent all the people of the district, and this is what I've been trying to do. Mr. Hallinan has tried to portray me as only representing the gay community, and that is absurd. Uh, the reality is that he has not shown particularly much understanding of the gay community, that he has been willing to offend our community by his strong stand against the Vice Squad initiative and his suggestion that there's going to be glory holes in the neighborhoods if, if that should pass. He has surrounded himself by anti-gay people like Idaree Westbrook and given his uh, his whole campaign a... an appeal to those people who think gays have gone too far in District 5. Uh, I think whoever is the supervisor in District 5 must be sensitive to all the people in District 5, and certainly you start with the gay community.
5: The term of office Harvey had won will end in the fall of 1979. To stay in office, Harry will have to run on his own merits. Prospects are dim. District elections, which made it possible for Harvey to win, had been repealed. Harry will have to run in a citywide contest, and opponents are taking numbers to run against him. But Harry's friend, the young and savvy Bill Krause, who had masterminded Harvey Milk's victory, leads his campaign. The Harvey Milk Club gets out the vote, and Harry gets the endorsement of the Tokeless Club. Harry,
1: well, the reason I know, Randy, that I can represent straight people is that I've been doing it for a year. And if you look at the straight people in District 5 who know what's going on, they're very, very solidly behind my candidacy. I have the support of the president of the DuBose Triangle Neighborhood Association, of the Eureka Valley merchants, of the uh, Friends of Noe Valley, of the Noe Valley merchants, of the Haight-Ashbury Improvement Association, of just about every neighborhood leader that that I know of. Uh, They understand that I have been out there working full-time, 16 hours a day in many cases, Uh, trying to be responsive to all the people of District 5. It's a very solid record. Uh, I have gained the support of the uh, Mexican-American Political Association, the Chinese-American Democratic Club, a lot of minority groups who who recognize that I've been censored for them. I have the support of the Democratic Party, which uh, certainly uh, has a lot of agendas other than gay rights. So I think there's a very clear record that I've done the job of gaining the support, and Mr. Hallinan simply hasn't.
5: He wins. In fact, in a field of 12 candidates, Harry comes in first. So, take a note, political establishment, with or without district elections, with or without Harvey Milk. From now on, the queer community will have a seat at the table in City Hall.
0: Since Harvey Milk's election in 1977... There's always been one queer seat on the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. When when we have so many heteronormative enemies like the police, what has having that seat of power meant for our community?
5: They couldn't make decisions without um, having to hear us. Of course, the big switch that Harvey fought for was we were no longer relying on well-meaning heterosexuals to represent us and our, our needs. Here's how queer power works. In 1981, Harry introduces a proposal to create the Office of Citizen Complaints to investigate charges of police harassment and assault. It will be one of the first independent police oversight bodies in the country. After Feinstein vetoes the measure, the supervisors put it on the November ballot. Conventional wisdom is that the police officers' association will fight it tooth and nail.
2: At the time that I became a supervisor, the police officers' association, heavily controlled by the Cops for Christ, very right-wing, uh, sort of a jihadist mentality among these people, very a lot of racism. That's why the police, the little settlement issue, was so important even though it wasn't a lot of money involved, but it was a sort of, is this, you know, Barack Obama's born in Africa kind of a thing, that, you know, it's just, we want our country back kind of a thing. And Cops of Christ were very important. The, the newsletter that the POA put out was very nasty. Um, I was, you know, not, nobody there was a fan of me. Um, I don't know who they supported when I ran for election in 1980. I can't imagine it was me. So getting it on the ballot, in in the form I wanted, we didn't make any compromises, and uh, it was very, very strong, and they were pissed. Diane wasn't crazy about it. I don't know if she supported it or not, I kind of don't think she did. Um, but I knew she, by that time, she really, really wished I would behave myself. I was really the the bad kid, and she just wanted me to pick up my toys and, you know, go, go, to, bed, go to bed early and all the things. And I didn't do any of that. We made a deal, which I'm very proud of. I caught some hell for it at the time from my enemies and. the gay press and other places. I met with the POA, which by that time had was a better group of people. It was it was more sort of Moscone type. It was more the liberal we are a union. That they saw themselves as a union and I was a union guy. Either they either endorsed it or they didn't they didn't oppose it, which was a I mean, that was the endorsement you wanted. You did not want the whole Sunset District to rise up and support their local cops. And the reason they supported it was a deal that we made, and I thought I got so much the better of this deal. There was another item on the ballot. Let me see, I think it's Prop I. Yeah, police Prop I. Police Retirement and Disability Plan. Ah. And, and, and Prop J, there were two. Police overtime pay at rate of time and a half. Now those are called money issues. Money issues are more important than cultural issues. cultural issues. So they approached me about making a deal. And I agreed to support their two money issues having supported every union money issue that had ever come along for any union. (laughs) And they agreed to not oppose my Office of Citizen complaints, but they lost both of those issues. (laughs) <laughs> and we want ours, <laughs> so I felt like it was a pretty good fucking deal. <laughs> it's just that you know the B A R would say you know Harry Britt is now sold out for the cops. Cops beat up queers, so Harry Britt's in favor beating up queers. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it was fun. I I was I, I was never a very good wheel wheeler dealer deal making kind of person, but I made that deal, and it paid off. Uh, one thing about, oh, I should be careful what I say here, straight people were getting a little afraid of us. And even the police. If you're a leader of the Police Office Association in 1979 or 1980, your constituency does not want you to suck up to Harry Brett, But you do it. Uh, out of a sense that it's in your interest to do it. And and that's what Harvey wanted. He didn't want all of a sudden for us to be loved by everyone. He knew that was not real, and, and that what we would have to do to pretend to be lovable was not worth it.
5: There's a story about Harvey. Shortly after his election, he stormed to Mayor Moscone's office, pounded the desk with his fists, and declared... I'm the number one queen now. Harry has a different style, but he has learned how to practice Harvey's politics of queer power. Does
4: does the mayor really know how progressive your politics are?
1: The mayor, I think, assumes that my politics are very close to the politics of Harvey Milk, and she's absolutely right to assume that, because they are. I'm not aware of any difference at all between my politics and those of Harvey Milk except for a couple of places where I think mine are better than his, so I don't want to say anything about that. (laughs) But uh, she didn't talk to me much about that, Randy. She really wants someone she can work with, and I will work with her. She wants someone who will communicate between people and bring people together, and I I do have certain skills out of my background that I feel good about, and, and I think those were decisive in making the appointment. So um, I have made no commitments to the mayor on any issues, and she hasn't asked me to make any. She has asked me to be, uh, t- to talk with her and and to be honest with her, and and I will do that.
4: Are there any differences in style in the way that you'll be conducting your office, and if the political differences are small?
1: There are differences in style between me and Harvey Milk. There's differences in style between everybody and Harvey Milk. Uh, <laughs> Harvey Milk was a unique, unique person who was Incredibly more gifted than I am, in, in, and, and I'm fully aware of that. Now, I think the important differences in style <clears throat> are those that will be dictated by the difference in the historical situation in which we find ourselves. Harvey came from outside and made a lot of noises and, and had, had to constantly be doing, doing symbolic, dramatic things in order to focus attention on the movement that he was a part of. Because of Harvey's work and because of his death, it's not necessary for me to do so much of that. I can consolidate what he has done. I can bring gay people and other minorities into the process on a level that wasn't possible when Harvey was here. So I think I will do very much what what Harvey Milk would do if he were the successor to Harvey Milk. The basic difference in style is he was a great man and I'm just Harry Britt.
5: In San Francisco, politics is sausage-making, and the number of ingredients are bewildering. So, get ready to roll up your sleeves. Every community in every neighborhood has its power brokers. Winning an election or a ballot proposition requires a grand tour of visits to political clubs, neighborhood groups, unions, churches, and, of course, bingo games. And in the queer community, bars and drag balls. If you want a fancy word for it, call it hyperpluralism. So what was the secret to Harry's success? He leads with listening. He hates shaking hands and raising funds, but he has an ear for politics. People bring him their problems, and Harry starts calling allies and putting his aides to work.
0: Helping people with disabilities.
5: One of the first bridges Harry builds is to the deaf and disabled community. What amazing people they were, he told me. He convenes a task force of disabled people to advise him and assigns his aide, Tim Wolfred as liaison. Harry makes sure city offices have TTY phones for the deaf. He pushes for the construction of an accessible ramp at City Hall over the objections of purists who insist the ramp will mar their beloved Beaux-Arts seat of power. And he introduces legislation to prevent discrimination against disabled people.
0: Asian American communities.
5: He also builds bridges to the Chinese American community. Harvey had told him that one day, gays and Asians would be the majority of San Francisco's population. But back then, Chinese and other Asian communities, like gays, had little representation in city government.
2: Uh, the Chinese-American community, very important. I mean, I, I really took it as a priority of mine to do what you're talking about. Uh, Harvey Milk had told me, uh, had introduced me to uh, Harold Yee, who was uh, head of the Chinese American Democratic Club and had been a very major player in the evolution of Chinese American politics. You know, Chinatown had historically been sort of controlled politically by the six companies, uh, a very you know conservative group uh, who provided essential support services, maybe a little bit like Sir and, or the Tavern Guild, but more conservative, uh, for immigrants from China, because Chinatown was where you came to from China. Um, By the time, by the 80s, Chinese Americans were much more diffused Uh through the city and and through the Bay Area. But Chinatown was still there. The six companies were still there. Uh, I never really interacted with them. I went, I I, I did the courteous things, but they weren't going to be my people. But uh Harvey said that he wanted us, the San Francisco Gay Democratic Club, to be to the gay the queer world what CADC, the Chinese American Democratic Club, had been to Chinese Americans. Now, for the Chinese Americans had more problems than we did because they had to be taught English. They had to be um acculturated acculturated into voting, they had to have a sense, which they did not have in large part, that the political system could work for them. Um, And they generally had to see themselves as San Franciscans and not just as residents of Chinatown. So the task of the early leaders of the Chinese American Democratic Club was enormous. But getting citizenship is not, not an easy thing to do, you come here with no language skills and you're living in a Chinatown where Chinese Americans don't speak English as a, their primary language. So, he had great respect for Harold and uh, uh, a, a man named Ling Chi and, and a group of others, and he introduced me to those people and he said he wanted me, as president of the Milk Club, or what became the Milk Club, to interact with these people. And I took that very seriously, and I developed a very good relationship.
5: To build power at the ballot box, the Chinese community needs bilingual ballots. When the city is sued by the U.S. attorney over an inaccurate translation on a ballot, Harry proposes a settlement that includes an aggressive voter outreach program to both Chinese and Spanish-speaking residents. And it wins.
0: the African-American community.
5: In the 1980s, San Francisco's African-American community is well organized, having built political muscle in a long fight against urban renewal. But when it comes to queers, black leaders are wary. There's plenty of racism to be found in San Francisco's newest voting block, And black churches disapprove of the gay lifestyle on principle. When Harry comes into office, there are inflammatory charges that gay speculators are driving people out of their homes in the city's black neighborhoods. Harry makes no apologies on that account. Of course, there are some gay speculators. There are many more straight speculators. And the speculation is being fueled by the banks. When Harry fights for anti-speculation measures and rent control in 1979, his strongest ally is Ella Hill Hutch, an African-American supervisor. And later, he will join Willie Kennedy, another African-American supervisor, in sponsoring legislation to divest city funds from banks doing business in South Africa. On more than one occasion, he's invited to speak at black churches. When black leaders pressed the city to name a street after Martin Luther King Jr., Harry suggests that they rename the major thoroughfare in the city's signature
2: Golden Gate Park. I had invited, I was meeting with activists, uh, African American activists, to talk about, you know, get input on what they would like to do, but I wanted a street. And most of the proposals were out in the southeastern part of the city. And my sense was, no, let's, let's don't do that. Let's put it where the white folks are. Because <laughs> you know? that's where King went to do his stuff. And uh, I had to make a case with them, because obviously every, every activist had their own idea. Um, and, um, but it was such a beautiful street. And I thought it would be nice to have a street that was n- not about, you know, Strident's you know, activism, but was about Martin Luther King as a complete human being who, you know, was could enjoy a good walk in the park like the rest of us. So I, d- I didn't have a very hard time. I was surprised how difficult it was to pass that. Really? Uh, it was similar to the problem I had getting the ramps on City Hall. There is a traditional group in this city who just want everything to stay, you know, the way it was when Jesus was here. But we got it. And it's not the most important issue I worked on, but I feel so good about it. So again, so that year when they had the annual Martin Luther King Jr. breakfast, they gave me an award as politician of the year for that. Mm -hmm. And that was important to me, not, not, not the plaque was not important, but here's the gay guy getting the plaque uh, from a group of many of the pre- people in that room were black preachers. So again, I, not the most important thing I worked on, but it was certainly fun and gratifying and permanent.
0: <laughs> the Irish
5: community. They had once dominated city politics, and they still have sway when Harry is supervisor. But, by and large, they sway in a conservative Catholic direction, especially when it comes to social issues, like, you know, the gay. But there are Irish-American activists organizing against the British occupation of Northern Ireland. In 1983, when the Queen of England makes a state visit to San Francisco, Mayor Feinstein holds a lavish reception. The Irish organize a protest, and they invite Harry Britt to speak.
2: And uh, I did my homework. I studied up on the history of the evils of the British Empire. And I gave gave a wonderful speech going name by name of all the Irish heroes and all of the British bad guys. And they loved it, because all the (laughs) other politicians just said, you know, platitudes and stuff. So I won over the hearts of some of the key leaders, I think, with that speech. And I thoroughly enjoyed trashing the Queen. And, and a few months before that, the Queen had fired her bodyguard, or her closest friend, because he was gay. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, yeah. There was some, some member of her personal staff that she spent a lot of time yeah. with who she dismissed because she found out he was gay and it was an an issue, of course. So I could play that, I could say, you know, we have an eternal alliance between the gay community and the Irish community because we got our our hairdresser (laughs) fired. And (laughs) that was fun because it was a no loss situation.
0: The Filipino community.
5: Harry has a special connection with the Filipino people. His uncle had been in a Japanese concentration camp in the Philippines during World War II, and the Filipino people kept him alive by slipping food through the fences. For that, Harry's grandparents considered the Filipinos the best people in the world. In San Francisco, a thriving Filipino neighborhood south of Market was being devastated by urban redevelopment. But the Filipinos are conservative voters— So most liberal politicians don't bother cultivating their support. Harry reaches out and soon finds himself attending meetings with activists organizing against Ferdinand Marcos. And he finds himself serving as Grand Marshal for ethnic festivals in Daly City. Just south of San Francisco, Daly City has the highest concentration of Filipinos outside the Philippines none of whom can vote for a San Francisco supervisor. And then there are the Korean and Japanese communities. Oh, and the Samoans. No one from their community had ever gotten a city job until
0: they go to Harry. The Russian community.
5: The Russian-Americans are one of the more unlikely constituency Harry cultivates. But they need a bus for their senior center, and none of the other supervisors ever answered their letters.
2: These were people who had fled from the Marxists back in 1915 or whenever. Very conservative group. Many of them had been in the country for 60 years and still did not speak English. And they weren't, for the most part, or the ones I dealt with, we were not poor people. They lived out in the Geary Boulevard uh, out there. And uh, I got a letter from them one time saying they, they needed a bus for their senior center. And I thought, this is great. So I got on a bus for their senior center. We oh, There's something called community development block grants, and each supervisor is able to sort of... I'd get money for Community United Against Violence and gay organizations, but I threw a, a bus in for the Russians, to extremely conservative, and no Russian-Americans in my district. I don't remember if I was a district supervisor, then or not. So I was the only supervisor who'd ever responded to the, any of their letters. And uh, this ama- very strong and wonderful woman came to meet with me. and. I got invited out there and developed a friendship with, and, and then the publisher of the r- Russian language newspaper made a big deal of what I had done. I don't know if any of those people ever voted for me or not. I don't know if, how many of them even voted, but it was fun. Yeah, It was fun dealing with a constituency that was so different from the Haight-Ashbury Neighborhood Council, but as a gay man... Um, I hope it it was a part of their consciousness-raising a little bit.
5: Then there are the Palestinian grocers. Skyrocketing commercial rents are driving them out of business. Harry becomes their supervisor, too, and speaks at the Arab Cultural Center, where meetings are conducted in Arabic. They would clap for me, he recalled, but then they would clap for Yasser Arafat a lot more.
0: And finally, equal pay for equal work.
5: One of the hardest-fought issues Harry champions is comparable worth. It's a fight for women and a fight for workers. And no issues are more important to him. Now, I need to cut away to explain what this issue is about. Women face two kinds of pay inequities. When they hold the same job as men, with the same skills and performance but are consistently paid less, that's discrimination. And you could prove it with the numbers. But what if you're a woman in a profession that's nearly all women and you're all paid low salaries? Librarians in San Francisco at that time are earning less than gardeners. Doesn't their work involve equal, if not greater, skills and education? On one side are working women, especially in city government and their union. The service Employees International, which is 60% women, and led by one of Harry's closest allies, Pat Jackson. And there are the feminists, or at least some of them. On the other, Diane Feinstein and the downtown interests. As a young woman, Diane had been a single mother while she was trying to launch her career. But now, the city is facing a fiscal crisis. Harry's proposal, she tells the press, is an ill-conceived, fiscally irresponsible, shocking giveaway. If the supervisors insist on raising women's salaries well, she will be forced, forced, I say, to make mass layoffs. It begins when Harry joins fellow supervisor Nancy Walker in introducing a resolution in 1981, committing the city to a policy of equal pay for women and minorities based on comparable worth. Before it's over, Diane vetoes one proposal, has her veto overridden, then puts the plan on the ballot and gets it repealed. She also vetoes a contract with city workers that gives raises to women and minorities. That veto is overridden too. Harry's aide, Sharon Johnson, takes the lead throughout the back and forth. Finally, in 1986, Diane compromises. A new proposal is put on the ballot that she agrees not to oppose. Harry's name is at the top of the list in the first argument for the measure in the voter pamphlet. The only argument against it comes from the Chamber of Commerce. It's close, but the comparable worth proposal wins.
1: I think we always have to be on the guard against bigotry, whether it's against gay people, or black people, or Jews, or women, or whoever. History is on the side of, of people coming to be more open, more accepting of each other. And, and I am honored. Uh, the trust that Harvey put in me was the greatest vote of confidence I've ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. And the chance to be a part of his work is, is what gives my life meaning right now.
5: Not all of Harry's meanderings through the city's political alleyways take him to union halls and bingo games. Sometimes he finds himself strolling down the halls of power, dealing with developers.
3: There has been a projection that by 1990 we will have 35 new high rises in San Francisco. Not
1: if I can help it.
3: Okay, that's what I wanted to find out. I've seen
1: some of these statistics. It's incredible what's going to happen to our streets, and and, and that's what I mean. The decisions about what happens to downtown have to be made by the people who live
5: here. Uh This is an issue about skyscrapers, neighborhoods, and housing. Neighborhood activists and environmentalists have been fighting for limits on downtown growth since the 1960s. The skyscrapers not only scar the skyline, they bring in thousands of well-paid workers. When they commute from their white suburbs, their cars gridlock the city and foul the air. When they buy up old Victorians and settle down, they drive up rents. Harry introduces legislation to control high-rise expansion in his first year in office. Diane, get ready for it, vetoes it. You know the routine by now. The issue is put on the ballot and it loses. It's put on the ballot again And it loses. But the margins are narrowing. And so in 1986, the Slow Growth Coalition takes on the downtown interests one more time. Proposition M proposes limits on the number of large developments each year. And it lays out priorities for city planning that favors the preservation of housing, small business, and neighborhoods. As the campaign's spokesperson, Harry pays a courtesy call on his most powerful opponent, real estate magnate Walter Shorenstein. When Harry steps into Shorenstein's executive suite, high above the financial district, the billionaire owns 25% of the city's commercial office space.
2: Do you know who Walter Shorenstein is? I always enjoyed spending time with the Walter Schornsteins of the world. Okay, because in my normal course of life, I'm not going to ever see them. But he was, I guess, the main opponent of Proposition N, and I met with him in his office, and it was quite wonderful because his analysis of What was at stake was exactly the same as mine. He understood fully the implications of uncontrolled downtown growth, and he told me the history of how a group of San Francisco business, or real estate owners I guess, of which he was probably the largest, had a meeting in Cleveland. And I'm a, I can't quite put my hand around the why of that, but I'm pretty sure it's true. And came up with a plan to um, make downtown San Francisco a high-rise place. I forget what was the word that he and I both used. Gosh, I hate I hate being old, but. When you, when you have one used car lot, that's okay, when you have two, that's sort of okay. When you have seventeen altogether, then it becomes that. Yeah. It becomes coma. Yeah. Uh, or... auto Rogue. So he understood that you needed to create a certain critical mass of a certain kind of use in order to become exclusively that use, and that was their philosophy. And obviously that with my work on zoning, that was the very opposite of my philosophy. I don't mind one high-rise building, but you start putting the second one in, you're on a, a deadly slope. Um, so he understood that, that that the history that had been happening and that was happening was not an accident. It had been orchestrated by a campaign in which he was a leading figure of people who owned downtown real estate and who did not want get to be used for anything else except high-rise buildings. And who had realized that now it was time to move on to the south of market. Uh, I, w- I was just, I enjoyed, I enjoyed my conversation with Jornstein. You know, he's, he's not a monster, he's just all about maximizing profits. And um, I'm not. so
5: whether Harry made an impression on Shorenstein is an open question. But the passage of Proposition M that November certainly did. Over the years, the Shorensteins of San Francisco had defeated every attempt to control real estate development. Proposition M was a crack
4: in their armor. Okay, we've reached the time for closing statements. And each candidate gets three minutes. Harry, you get to go first. Harry Britt supervisor, candidate in District 5. Well, Randy,
1: I think the gay community knows who I am. Uh, They have come to depend upon my office to use it. When the immigration struggle came along, we were there. Because of my office, we have access to power way beyond City Hall. Uh, We have been able to get a VD clinic for our community that is now open and functioning. Uh, We have established a a place that gay people can come when they don't feel comfortable go anywhere else. What Harvey Milk was about was, was not, was simply giving gay people a chance to show what they can do. We have tried to bring energy from the gay community to bear on all the problems in San Francisco. We have earned the broad support of all kinds of people in District 5 and around the city, and the respect of the Carol Ruth Silvers and the Jack Molinaries of the world, who say that what's going on in District 5 must continue to go on. As long as I'm down there, every person in District 5, gay or straight, who wants to participate and be a positive part of the struggle to make government accountable to the neighborhoods and to minorities will have a voice and a friend. Uh, we hope that, that we'll get uh, everyone who cares about that that continue to happen will come on down to the headquarters on Castro Street because we're having a, a lot of fun in the campaign. We're, we're very confident we're going to win, and the next couple of weeks are going to be very exciting ones for all of us.
4: That about wraps it up on The Gay Life this morning. Please tell a friend about The Gay Life on KSAN San Francisco. Harry Britt has
5: hit his stride. One by one, he's advancing the progressive issues Harvey had embraced. He's building bridges. And the relationships he made during the campaigns around Proposition 13 and the Briggs Initiative were paying off. Harry told me, that all he had to do was make a phone call to put together a progressive coalition focused on a queer issue. In November 1982, his proposal for an Office of Citizen Complaints wins at the ballot box, and he's handily reelected. By now, the Harvey Milk LGBTQ Democratic Club is, in Harry's words, the queer player in progressive politics in San Francisco, period.
3: Okay, you know, we're almost out of time. But if people want to come to you, are you available to them?
1: My number is 558-2145. It's important that people call their supervisor. Okay. And and let us know what you want. If we're not responsive, kick us out.
3: Okay, great. Keep that in mind. Kick him out if he doesn't do what you want. (laughs) Thanks for being with us this morning. And do be back with us tomorrow because I'll have Don Haranzi
1: on my show. It's a good minute.
5: toxic fog is rolling into the city, and Harry is beginning to hear disturbing reports of gay men dying from mysterious causes. He's about to face the greatest crisis in his career.
0: Next week, Episode 5, Epicenter. (laughs) Give Hell, Harry is written and hosted by Will Roscoe. She's produced by me, Devlin Camp. You can find tons of info about this show and other Queer Serial podcasts at QueerSerial.com. And follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Queer Serial for all sorts of images from the stories on the podcast. And I've got a cute little email list for periodic updates. Click the link in the episode notes for that. And for bonus episodes and lots of queer history deep dives, join me over on Patreon. You can support Queer Serial for $3 a month and get the entire backlog of bonus episodes, including the new bonus podcast, The White Knight Riot Interviews. I'm talking to rioters who were there at The White Knight Riots. This week, check out my interview with the legendary genderfuck performance artist and cockat, Rumi Misabu. Rumi wasn't at the riots he was right down the street actually so i was
5: right down the street the night at white night riots i was living on Polk street in residential hotels
0: rumi was an artist living off the grid having disappeared from the gay community after his time with the Cockettes in the early 70s only to resurface after the heat of the aids epidemic it's a wild tale. And no, his story has nothing to do with the White Knight Riots, but he was living in that world at the time, and who gives a fuck, it's a great story.
5: So, no, nothing was written down at first. It was just all in Hibiscus's head, and let's put on a show and do it. We just did it. Angela Lansbury actually led the charge out of the theater.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Listen to that interview only on my Patreon. Also on my Patreon, you can listen to my bonus series, Mattachine Meeting, featuring interviews between me and lots of other queer activists and artists. You can peruse lots of fabulous 1950s and 60s gay cartoon books I've found during my queer serial research, and you'll find all sorts of homo history odds and ends. There's a link in the episode notes. It's at patreon.com slash queerserial. Thank you so much for your support preserving and sharing queer history.
5: And I could even astro fly across the
0: bay. I on something. The only issue was I couldn't fly back. (laughs) Hey girl, I've got some cues for you. Hey boy. (laughs) Sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes. Were you watching Harry Brick closely when he took the job to see what he would do? Yes.
5: Uh, Was definitely tuned into that. You know, I mean, first of all um, he was appointed over and Cronenberg knew, I knew, very. we all knew outside very little about the backstory of that. But I was for Ann, and I thought it was a big betrayal, and I was not his fan. Uh, he was speaking out on the uh, police violent, violence and street um, violence against gays, uh, and that was real. That was a part of life. Um, I certainly benefited from rent control it 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 it, it wasn't like I I wasn't focused at that point I wasn't experiencing myself I hadn't been there long enough to experience massive rent increases but it was definitely something that um, I benefited from Uh, and then of course I watched him closely during the riots and in the aftermath of the riots and that's when he really won me over Uh, he was um, one of us
0: and you're still very involved with your community here in San Francisco when you look at issues in the city still going on today in 2021 in 2021 at things like rent control and policing and equal pay and the various communities that Harry helped can you still see the lasting effects of his work
5: I can see the lasting effects I can see the threats to it I can see the continuing need and relevance for the same damn issues Uh, uh, We still do have problems with police. We still do have episodes of racist police behavior and um, uh, vigilante-style police shooting down black men. Um, uh, Housing, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the the rent control that Harry won helped many, many people, but there were too many loopholes in that thing. And they have worked, all of them, Uh, so evictions and displacement are all continuing problems. The lack of affordable housing and something that was not a part of 1970s, which is a large, thousands of very desperate people on the street uh, that you see. It's just heartbreaking and soul-killing. Um, what you see in this city with all of its wealth. The strength of the developers, it's still there. Uh, comparable worth for women, that needs to be revisited. It's—it it is. Um, there are loopholes. There's still a lot of issues there. Uh, uh, loopholes in the Office of Citizens complaints. So... There is a lasting impact. There is no doubt that this city is a a highly progressive place. And the forces of capitalism and racism, uh, sexism and so on, are strong still, Um, but we we do have power. And the Harvey Milk Club remains a very strong player in politics in San Francisco and statewide. Big thanks to our fabulous
0: sponsors, the Harvey Milk LGBTQ Democratic Club, the One Archives Foundation, the GLBT Historical Society, the James C. Hormel LGBTQIA yeah. Center at the San Francisco you Public got Library. got it. <laughs> oh, Smiter, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, <laughs> the Making Gay History Podcast, Shaping San Francisco, and Lady Joey Kane, and our fiscal sponsor, Calamus. And everyone who supported the show on Indiegogo. Especially
5: those on the highest tier, including Susan Gray, a.k.a. Marianne
0: Singleton. Sam Tupperman gelfont and Pat Gorley, Sharon P. Johnson with big hugs. And an anonymous longtime supporter of Queer Serial. Thanks, Mattachino. This podcast is produced with the support of the Murray Hong Family Trust in honor of the legacy of Stephen O. Murray. And thanks to Cass Brayton at the Archives of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. You can support the sisters at thesisters.org. And thanks to Anchor SF for providing a fantastic recording studio for the podcast. Special thanks also to Daniel Nicoletta for providing photos and Harvey Milk's complete audio will. Audio is used courtesy of the GLBT Historical Society, KPIX-TV, and KQED San Francisco. Music is by Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for listening. Very cute.